Yeah. So this has been the, the hardest year of allergies I've had in, in decades. So it's crazy. So if I have to blow my nose, forgive me. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone. I am Pastor Cameron. I'm glad to be here. And had a great time last night in Vandalia. Now into about two months of uh, Saturday night services. And uh, Leonard told me to tell everyone it's, it's fun to, to go to Vandalia. And if you want to get, get in on the Saturday night services, we're only going to do that till the end of the year. And starting in uh, uh, January, we're going to start Sunday services down there. And that's going to be interesting, too. But uh, it's, it's going fantastic. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Vandalia is about 50-minute uh, drive from here. And it's a rural area. But we're starting a new church down there. And the response has been fantastic. All right, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount and taking our time going through it verse by verse. And so uh, we're actually getting kind of near the end. Uh, This is Jesus' vision statement for his kingdom. The whole sermon is really Jesus describing what he uh, envisions for his kingdom and the lifestyle of, of those who follow him lifestyle of his disciples. The commentator, one of them that I'm using, <coughs> says that the radical demands of Jesus have been set out in the main body of the Sermon on the Mount, culminating in the all-embracing principle, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that's the verse that we uh, focused on last week, and that was the culmination or the summary of everything that preceded it. Which is known as the Golden Rule. And Jesus follows that grand summary of the Golden Rule with several illustrations concerning uh, living authentically as his disciples. So just as we've seen throughout the sermon, he'll, he'll give a point, a teaching point, or a lesson, and he follows it with several illustrations. Well, to illustrate uh, uh, doing uh, unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and to illustrate the essence of, of the sermon to illustrate living as authentic disciples who shares several illustrations. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's in uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 20. And it reads like this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by, in by it. Because narrow is the great gate, and difficult is the way, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Did men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, even so, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, therefore, by their fruit, you will know them. All right, so we're just going to go through that kind of verse by verse. And I'm going to read uh, verse 13 and 14 in several different translations. And uh, I think different translations kind of bring out different nuances in the teaching. So in the New Living Translation, we put verse 13 and 14 like this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. 
But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And then in the Amplified, the Amplified is the version that says, let's just see how many words you possibly can into each verse. Gives all the words instead of just a few. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and spacious and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are those who are entering through it. But the gate is narrow, contracted by pressure, and the way is straightened and compressed that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And then uh, finally, in the message, very contemporary wording of the verse, it says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. <laughs> Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Yeah. <clears throat> so Jesus gives a, a vivid description of how, in, the, in this verse, He actually gives us a description of how our eternities are determined. He commands us to enter the narrow way, but in that command and in the description of, in that illustration that he uses, um, we see that eternity is determined by the choices we make as you walk through life. You know, he's saying, choose the narrow gate. Don't choose the broad gate. Many choose the broad gate. He actually uses the word choose. He's commanding us to choose the narrow way. And so the, the idea, the principle that Jesus is saying is that, listen, you have a choice to make. In fact, it's a daily choice. Where, what, which pathway are you choosing to live your life? Are you going uh, by the narrow way or the wide way? Okay, so this first illustration concerning living authentic demonstrates that kingdom living requires us to follow Jesus carefully and that the way is narrow, difficult, um, and, and constrained. And, uh, and by the resources I was looking at, uh, most of them you know, said the word the difficult, it kind of it doesn't really fit. It really means narrow or, or pressed in. And you have to kind of squeeze through it. So, and again, it's a, it's a narrow path, is the idea, uh, as opposed to difficult, thinking that it requires a lot of exertion. It's narrow and that it requires more precision. Right? And we to follow Jesus closely uh, and, and not popular. Uh, whereas the way to destruction is the opposite. It's easy, it's wide, and it's popular. I remember when I was a child, we grew up, I grew up in a, in, out in the country, and I literally could walk out the back door and walk for hours uh, because our my parents owned a quite a bit of property and it bordered uh, a county-owned Property that there were hundreds of acres. We used to call them hundred acre woods based on the wind of the pool. Uh, <coughs> and we used to camp out there. But often after school, we'd get our stuff together and go camping. By the time we got all this stuff together, it was dark. And uh, we'd be hiking out into these woods to camp, and I'd have to follow my brothers. And let me tell you, when it's dark and in the woods, and, you're, and this is back in the old days, and Dad was. 
<laughs> no batteries. Oh well, they were going anyway. So you have to, I'd have to follow my brother's posting. I don't want to get lost out in the woods. The idea of following Jesus in this narrow path is that's the image that it provokes in me. Uh, the Living Translation for verse 15 and 16, the next verses says, uh, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And uh, it's interesting that Jesus mentions false prophets after talking about uh, the narrow gate and the wide gate and the choices we make. Now, why is it that Jesus... Uh, really changes the topic from the the lifestyle that you choose to these false prophets. I think there's a direct connection. Uh, France in the commentary writes that the connection of thought may well be that like the false prophets in the Old Testament, uh, they, these false prophets, would offer an easier alternative to the narrow way of Christian discipleship. Their teaching would be plausible, make sense, Enable them to, to pass as true disciples or sheep, but in fact, their effect would be very destructive. And this was happening, you know, Jesus taught this, but um, we read about it in the early church how uh, teachers would have, have crept in and were deceiving uh, uh, Christians, even in the first century, even when the New Testament was being written. And of course, we see it. Uh, even in, in our day, that people come in with teachings, and often the teachings uh, make it easy. And there's a, there's a real popular teaching in the Western church right now, and it's normally called extreme grace. And it goes something like, since Jesus died for your sins and paid the price, right? Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid the price for your sins, right? Right. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. That means you can sin because it's already been paid for. But they're teaching it. And that's a pretty well developed. Someone who buys into this uh, uh, heresy, and it's not a new heresy. It's something that's been taught. Paul says, uh, if sin causes grace to abound, could we sin all the more? God forbid. It's addressed clearly throughout the New Testament. But about every 50 to 100 years, somebody comes along thinking uh, they have a new revelation of what grace means. Grace is the empowering to uh, enable us to live free from sin, as well as to wash us from the penalty of sin. Right? And so the idea uh, of choosing which case you follow, followed by Jesus warning about false prophets, is directly connected. And we see it in the church, and it's always been part of the church. So it's interesting that false prophets are described as uh, harmless sheep. Okay, Jesus doesn't describe them as shepherds, but as sheep. Right? Now certainly it applies uh, to false ministers and teachers, but it applies to everyone or anyone who comes disguised. I think that's really the key word. If they're disguised, it, it, you know, they're, they're trying to pretend that they're genuine, but inwardly, they're, they're dangerous. And often, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a powerful graphic picture and something, again, that the Jesus' listeners could relate to because 
people are common things. It's kind of like your wedding. <laughs> you know, there was a bunch of sheep out in the field. You know, one of them was a vicious wolf that would change things. Uh, <coughs> and, and the picture of a, 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 a sheep, a wolf dressed up imitating a sheep. Why would, this, why would a wolf do that? Why would a wolf dress up like a sheep? To eat the sheep, to get close to the sheep. Right? And so uh, this wolf wears the disguise, comes like a sheep, so that, uh, this, that you can kind of mingle in. And they won't know that you do. Sure enough, they usually don't. Because they're often disguised really well. And they get in close, and then they start whispering things, saying things. And this is how uh, 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 it often happens. There are teachers and false prophets that teach um, harmful doctrine, but there's also sheep. <laughs> uh, people come in and they're really wolves, but they're covered in sheep's clothing. And so they just come in as uh, into a, a fellowship of believers in a congregation and they start saying this and influencing others. And let me just tell you a tip. <clears throat> if someone comes up to you and says, but don't tell anybody that if you hear the word, don't tell anybody. Don't don't let that send up one red red flag. That should send up all the red flags. Alright? And the siren. Woo woo! Warning, 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 warning. <laughs> For the old folks in the room. <laughs> Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Don't, don't tell, don't tell him. Don't, don't tell anyone. Just like I'm not telling him. Right? You know the old Don't tell anyone. Uh, maybe you said that. Let me just clarify that. Why that's so dangerous? Because if you say something, one, if I say something. Uh, to Aaron, I said, don't tell him. If you agree, you, you're violating one covenant with your spouse because there shouldn't be secrets between the two. So if someone tells you something you're married, you automatically have the right, if you choose, to tell your spouse because you don't keep secrets at home. doesn't mean you have to, but you have that liberty. And if someone says something to you, it doesn't matter what it is, you automatically have the op- option of sharing it with those who are over you in the Lord. So you look to as spiritual authorities in your life. Right? That's for your protection. That's for their protection. And this is the gossip killer. All right? Because <clears throat> it, uh, it, it prevents, it gives you a way out. Otherwise, this is what happens. Uh, I would say something to Aaron, and maybe it just involves me or something. And, and you dump something on me. I think they're struggling to think about something Whatever, you know, or what this or that, or did you know that sometimes the church has been doing this and doing that? Nobody gives you know, That's gossip. Right? And you go to somebody else and say, say something else. And, and maybe, maybe I don't have the full information. And it's often out of, you know, they're concerned. They're really, in part, they're really asleep. But this is vicious behavior because it's spreading partial truths. And locking people into not being able to find out the whole truth. And this is how it works out. That person goes around and talks to two or three or ten people. 
and then eventually comes into someone that says, wait a minute, that's not really how it's happening. Let's talk to the person that you're talking about, or talk to the pastor, and find out, oh, this is what, actually, yeah, that, that did happen, but they repented, and they didn't restore. Oh, really? You didn't know that? Yeah. Or no, that's not what would happen. That's what some people thought happened, but this is really, this is the whole story. If you come to us with that concern, we could have shared with you. And then they may get restored, or they're having a sin issue, and they finally get confronted, and they, they pray and get the repentance, and maybe they've been healed up. But all those people in the line before them never hear the resolution. And so they car- I've known people that have carried weight for years. And then finally, I, I told them that I wouldn't tell anybody, but this has been weighing on me for so long, so and so, and I've done that in my life. I knew that two years ago, and it was kind of a good time. Really? And that person was taught, called a false confidentiality and so you never, that's just one example of how a sheep can be a wolf and, and, and sink their teeth into another sheep. Now, I'm not saying you can't talk about things with your friends. You can. But if Aaron comes to me and tells me something about Bill, that automatically gives me the permission to talk to Bill and say, hey, Aaron, you said this to me. Alright? So that's how gospel is presented in the Or really, yeah, let's go talk to Bill. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have to, but we can. Or <coughs> if you share this, you know, I, I, I may share this with Pastor. Or it creates a safety. <coughs> um, and this also includes the false doctrine, of course, uh, teachings that are erroneous. So anything that's, uh, that's dangerous and hurtful. All right, <coughs> another picture. So the picture of wolves and sheep is one picture that Jesus used to describe how we can identify um, and, and, and the dynamics that happen with not living as genuine um, disciples. And he goes on, verse 16, says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. They can can you pick uh, grapes with thorn bushes or figs from thistles. That's a hard word for me to say. Feel like I have <laughs> All right. So the way to test the prophet, or really anyone, is to test the fruit. All right. Uh, the New Living Translation adds the words really to define, kind of as a trans- uh, interpretation of what it was meant by fruit, by the way they act. It's not actually in the original, but it's consistent with the word. Uh, it's true, but it's only one aspect of it. What what it really means in a greater sense is by what they produce, okay, by the produce. So how they affect others and how the, the, their effect is on the community of faith, which is the subject of Jesus' whole sermon. Right? Remember how we have to keep in mind what Jesus has been talking about. In order to understand a verse, you have to understand the context of that verse, the immediate context and the general context. So Jesus is really talking about uh, you know, a wolf, when you see the effect, you know, if everybody around them are bleeding with wolf bites, even though they look like a sheep, they're not really wolf. Alright? Does that make sense? <clears throat> so, it's how they act, yes, but also the effect that they have on those around them. He goes on. 
So even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. I, I love how Jesus emphasizes the point by repetition. Right. Can he make it any more clear? <laughs> you know, he's going, I was laboring the point. Um, but one thing about this verse is he was talking about false prophets, and now he says every tree. Right? So the truth is generalized. And this can apply not only to the prophetic ministries or people prophesying or teaching, if you will, um, but, but to every tree. Uh, 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 every good tree or every bad tree is judged by their fruit. Uh, so we're going to go into a little bit of a word study. And bear with me because we're going to get into some little detail. Are you ready? Can you stay with me? Kind of quiet this morning. All right. <clears throat> the words good and bad that describe the tree are different adjectives. What's an adjective? Describes what? Very good. Adjectives are words that describe nouns. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, the adjectives, good and bad, that describe um, the tree are different words in the original language that describe the fruit. All right. So it doesn't say good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit in the Greek. It actually has different words. Now, the ESV uh, uh, helps you because they actually use different English words that kind of summarize the meaning. So, so every healthy tree uh, bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. All right? A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So let's look, look at these Greek words. And, and the, the study tip that I've been trying to work into this series as well is that you know, reading different translations and looking up the Greek words can often open up a lot of understanding. You know, no matter how much you love your NIV, you know, the nearly inspired version. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Or, or, or the King James Version, you know, if it's good enough for Peter and Paul, it's good enough for me. You know, no matter how much you love your particular version, it's good to read a bunch of versions. Because the version I like, I say I like them all. Almost all of them on my computer. Uh, and then also looking up the Greek words. <clears throat> so the Greek word for a good tree is agathos, which means a good constitution of nature or in the Strong's intrinsically good. And, uh, <clears throat> and the word for good fruit is kalos, which means beautiful, handsome, excellent, and refers primarily to appearance or use. And actually in the definition in the, in the Greek word is distinguished from the other Greek word, agathos, which is what is used for the tree, which is properly intrinsic. So the one refers to the intrinsic nature of the tree, and uh, in describing the fruit, it has to do with its appearance or its um, uh, usefulness, right? Beautiful, beautiful, it's useful. Um, and again, in the words used for uh, uh, the, the negative side of it, the word used for a bad tree uh, is sapos, which means rotten, putrefied, corrupted, no longer fit for use or worn out. It indicates degeneracy from its original virtue. So if it means corrupted and degenerate, what does that imply? Boom! At one time, it was good. Right? Oh! 
Well, that's different, isn't it? It's something that has been corrupted. Has been, uh, and I like that's why I like DS3's translation, disease. And the bad fruit, <coughs> the word for uh, the bad fruit actually means hurtful or evil in its effect or influence. So it doesn't just mean it looks bad. It means it's, it's dangerous. So an intrinsically good tree is going to produce beautiful fruit that's useful and, and beautiful in appearance. And an intrinsically bad tree or a diseased tree is going to produce harmful fruit. You know? And then we see the connection between this picture and the picture of the wolves, don't we? You know, it's something that they, that they, they understood. <coughs> um, Alright, so we see a bad tree had been corrupted and degenerated from its original virtue. It produces fruit that's hurtful, having a corruptive, corrupted uh, effect and influence. And I think he's using these words to emphasize the difference. He's using the words to emphasize the connection between the, the nature of the tree and the fruit uh, that it produces. And, and the difference between a good tree and a bad tree. And, and so when he's using these particular terms, he's, how, he, 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 he's expecting people listening. And, if, and for us, we have to do a little research because we don't know the original language and dig in a little bit. And so, you know, sometimes, you know how you, you, know how you decide when you're studying the Bible whether you look up a word? You know the best way? Well, that's a good way. If you think you know what it means, look it up. Because you probably don't. No, but if you just feel the Holy Spirit tug it. Sometimes I'll read the Bible and say, I think there's something more there. You know? And what, you know, there's just a little Holy Spirit nudge. And you get good at looking these things up. I don't look up every word. You know? It takes forever. <clears throat> so follow the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you'd be surprised. If you don't know how to do that, um, <clears throat> You come ask me, and I'll teach you some lessons. Uh, really easy ways to do that. So here's a good fruit, right? This looks like this looks like the perfect example. You know, if there was a uh, uh, you know homecoming, this could be selected for the homecoming team uh, of red delicious apples. You know, it's just a perfect, nice shape, uh, good color, <coughs> good size, fairly symmetrical. And so they have all kinds of scores of how to. Four apples. I don't know that. Um, <laughs> so this is a beauty. This is a good fruit. And I was driving down the road, and I saw uh, a tree along the side of the road, and I stopped. And here's some. Here's 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 the fruit. And you know this little part here. Uh, what do they call this? You know the button. You know the I'm gonna do it. The belly button. Okay. Right. <laughs> the part you don't eat. Right. So usually it's the opposite the stem. And this one is like on its side. We have a poor little deformed apple. <coughs> how about these little guys? This is an apple tree. Yes, I believe it was a red delicious apple tree. There were some others that were bigger than redder. And so, I'm like, see, it's October 20th, right? Hey, you're supposed to look like this. you got a long way to go. Are they? Do you think they're going to catch up? Not today, not ever. <laughs> <All right. coughs> now, now, let me ask you this. Uh, what do we do with this bad fruit? There's nothing you can do. nothing I can do to make this fruit good. Right. The deer won't eat it. They're not picky. 
Uh-huh. The idea is that it's the tree that affects the fruit. And Jesus is saying, you want good fruit, you need to be a good tree. Uh-huh. If the tree's not good, the fruit's going to turn out diseased or corrupted. Um, and uh, he goes on with the illustration. The point is, or a bigger point is, that we're all bad trees. We're born in sin. Alright? The bottom line is, and Jesus isn't shy about this, just a few verses earlier, he says, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more of the goodness of God. So, we're all evil. We're all bad trees to begin with. But He's given us options. Right? Uh, we've all been corrupted by sin that we've inherited by our great-great-great-great-grandchildren, Adam and Eve. And even apart from that, we've chosen to do what is wrong and contrary to the character of God. And in choosing to do that, it, it reveals that there's something intrinsically bad in us that causes us to produce fruit that's deformed. In this case, but actually unhealthy uh, disease. So we are, like the bad tree, degenerate generated from the original virtue that God created and intended for us. But he gave us those illustrations that we have a choice. Right? In Christ, by walking through the narrow gate and staying on the narrow way, we can actually become new creations. We, he says in another place that you must be born again. When he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, and, and, the, and the Jews scholar was like, what do you mean, born again? And Jesus was amazed that he didn't understand. Him. You're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand that? That you need a new nature. Alright? And so when Jesus is talking about good trees and bad trees, he's using that illustration actually to emphasize the importance of living authentically according to what he's been teaching and being true disciples. Alright? Paul talks about the same uh, idea that <clears throat> you were once dead. You died to this life. And that, that's when you convert. When you choose Jesus as the Lord of your life, you choose to put off your old life. And he goes on and says, you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. You know, if there's still any bad in you, you need to put it to death. Because it's no longer part of your renewed nature. It's not going to produce healthy, uh, helpful fruit. Um, and it goes on. Whoops. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Nothing to do with sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. It says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Uh, it just ties into the illustration Jesus said, because those bad trees are going to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Whenever we see a list like this in Scripture, it's almost always accompanied by the, the, the a statement that we used to do those things. So it's not like we're exempt uh, when we talk about sin because many of us participated in behaviors that were 
of that was our nature. But now in Christ, we are to live the new nature. Our battery becomes transformed, right? Through the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and through the infilling of His Spirit, uh, we can produce good fruit. He goes on, says, but now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, uh, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. He goes on and says, put on your new nature, that new intrinsic being that was recreated in Christ, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Right? And so the whole process of Christianity, of sanctification, is becoming like Jesus. And the importance of putting off everything in us uh, that uh, would would lead to ugly, uh, corrupt, unhealthy fruit. So you can't change the fruit after it's picked. You must change the tree. Uh, in Christ, our rotten, diseased natures are transformed so that our fruit is no longer now the product of our fallen nature, but the product of God's nature within us. Right? Uh, anyone in the crowd walking toward the wide and easy gate, they hear the message of the gospel call, they hear Jesus' word, they can turn and walk toward the narrow gate and have their life renewed. Get your tree, which is the person dealt with, so that you can produce healthy, wholesome fruit. Uh, Jesus says in verse 19 and 20, I almost done here. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. So the illustration in the narrow and wide gate, the person's choice of which path they took determined their eternal eternity, right? Which path they took, that determined where they ended up. So Jesus is saying the fruit of our lives, that means our actions, but also what effect those actions have on others, and especially the community that we live in, will determine your destiny. Right? Jesus, uh, <clears throat> when he says uh, uh, they'll be thrown into the fire, he's actually quoting John the Baptist verbatim, alluding to the final judgment. To the tree that does not respond to God, what God has done, uh, that tree does not bear good fruit, is destined for fire. Now that's a very vivid image, and everybody there knew exactly what he was talking about. Right? Uh, when I was a kid, we grew up in an orchard, and my dad in the fall would go out and trim all of the, what you call them, suckers. They were branches that would not produce good fruit, but would suck life from the tree. And, and underneath each tree, there'd be a pile of these branches. Me and my brothers would have to gather up those branches, and we would burn them, or just haul them out into the, into the woods, and see when Jesus used that term, they're going to be gathered up. Everybody knew what he was talking about. Trees that produce unhealthy, diseased trees, the tree has to be dealt with. If it doesn't respond, it's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, and and uh, Jesus isn't shy about referring to it because it's truth. Uh, it wouldn't be love. Jesus wouldn't be loving if he, if he, if he didn't tell us that our fruit and our choices determine our future. And one of those options is eternal fire. So Jesus came so that every tree has the opportunity to be transformed. No matter how bad you've been as a tree, 
right? Or, or, or if you've been a wolf, you, you can have your nature transformed. Right? That's the promise of the Gospel. Um, but he's also teaching us how to discern both ourselves, our own lives, and the lives of others. The question is, have you been transformed? Are you producing consistently healthy, good fruit? You know, the fruit of the Spirit and your tree that people can walk off and get joy, peace, loving kindness, gentleness, you know, uh, goodness, mercy, all the fruit of the Spirit. You know, or are you full of, you got a bunch of these males, angels, filthy angels, and those things? How do you change it? You don't change the fruit. You don't just take it straight away. Because there's more of that in control. You need to change the nature of the truth. And the way that happens is by coming into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Authentic discipleship means our natures have been transformed by the fruit of our life, and the fruit of our life uh, demonstrates uh, this. Um, ultimately, this gives us, this verse teaches us how we can judge uh, ourselves and others by the fruit of our lives. And that's it. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.